0: Just go to Indeed.com/slash Bluewire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Buckle up, cause Metro is bringing you the best deal in Wireless. Switch to Metro and get your choice of two awesome free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens and tons of memory for all your pics and videos. So hurry into Metro and get your awesome free phones only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port of an eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions.
1: Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, unmissable opinions brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Thanks for tuning in again. You can tap in your app and check the show notes to subscribe. You can also find us on social media as well on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod, or for myself at Hilton D13. Of course you know who we are. I'm Dan Hilton, he's Frances Tomas from ESPN and The Guardian. We host a podcast about the champions of La Liga, or at least the current champions of La Liga. Before we get into dishing out any credit to the players and the team, I want to give a special little thank you to the Peña of New York City, located at Smithfield Hall in NYC. If you're in the New York, New Jersey area, you can head on over for matches. I watched the Deportivo match of them, and again, I really appreciate both on social media, and I'll say it again, their hospitality. And for all you in any city, again, we've had these Peñas on on these roundtables. Go to your Peñas, enjoy their company, and be a part of that Barcelona community. It really is a wonderful, wonderful thing that we have.
2: Wow, Dan, Um, that is very impressive. I mean, being a good friend, I should say that I'm very happy for you, that you got to spend so much time with the New York City Peña members and obviously celebrating La Liga. But being selfish, I have to say I'm really envious and I wish I would have taken your place in one of my favourite cities in the world. In this edition of the Barcelona podcast, we're going to be answering the question, who is responsible for the great achievement or Barca winning el doblete, which is Copa del Rey and obviously La Liga. So clearly, you are in for a treat. It's a stats-filled episode that you've got. So sit back, relax. Or if you're on the treadmill, which I know those of you are, just run as quickly as you can, which, you know, makes you feel like you are ready to ramble, Like we are right here. The Barcelona Podcast 83 starts right here.
1: Frances, I think the place to start. I, I think we start this by giving credit for consistent effort in the La Liga title race, and with that, I think you got to start with the manager. You and I both agreed, you know, off-air that the guy we had to go with first in our who we give credit to is the manager, and that's Ernesto Valverde. He has to be the one who's credited at the forefront of their efforts this season. It's become the theme of the year that Kool-Aid's are focusing more on the two losses this season, and of course the one in particular, than what is now a record-breaking season. Mathematically, Barca can still match the all-time record for points in a Liga campaign with 100. And yet, even though we could statistically have our best La Liga season ever, it's felt that Valverde just doesn't have even job security to know that he's going to have a position as manager of Barcelona next season. And, you know, I've gone through this time and time and week and week now. As frustrated as I was with that one negative result... I stand by the points that we made when we discussed Xavi's future quite recently that Boverde deserves the two to three years that most cup-winning managers for Barcelona have gotten, that it seems like for some reason people are saying that he needs to be replaced all of a sudden. There were some stats from one of the friends of the pod or a guest of the pod in the past, a deal or Barca19 stats on Twitter, and I would also tell all of our listeners that you go follow him on Twitter, you can see a lot of the accomplishments and really see them in mathematical form. And the last time that Liga teams captured the double, so you have this year's Barcelona, 2015-16, Barcelona 14-15 Barcelona, Barcelona 08-09, Barcelona 97-98, and you go all the way back to the 95-96 season for Atleti. So more than 20 years ago before any other La Liga teams had the double, and Barca have now done it for the fifth time. And that just tells you how consistent they've been and what that it means to just want to play a certain way. And even though it looked visually like they didn't play that way at certain times this year, you'd have to say that they were consistent and they always find that playing well in Spain and playing well week in and week out is important to the club.
2: Absolutely, Dan. I really couldn't agree with you more. I think if La Liga had to be given a name, it would actually be La Liga de Valverde. And you know, anyone trying to deny that is just simply the loo that is... It is unfortunate that we got knocked out in the Champions League, but we have to get over that. I really don't want to be spending the whole programme sort of ruining our chances and what it could have been simply because Real Madrid are still in it. I think we have to start. And I know this is hard for a lot of people. We need to start valuing what we have. Winning La Liga is not something that happens on a day-to-day basis. It doesn't happen on a yearly basis. You know, we, as Barca fans, we've been spoiled that we won seven out of the last 10 and 15 out of the last 30 La Ligas, which I think is even more impressive. So... Today, we need to celebrate what we have, and what we have is a domestic double to be incredibly proud of. And that success, whether you like it or not, could not have possibly been achieved without Ernesto Valverde, because in the summer, he got given a squad that he thought was going to have Neymar in it, and the Brazilian left us, and I think the boy that he left behind could have just not been filled by anybody, but I think Valverde was strategic enough. He understood what he had at his disposal and then he started sort of moving the pieces around, tweaking his system in order to make it a success. So absolutely, La Liga has Valverde's name written all over it. I mean, at the moment, obviously we've got a Clásico next week and we'll preview that in the second show this week. But for today, uh, we've got 87 goals scored and only received 21. I think that is the key. We've got a plus 66 in goal average this year. And, you know, when a team can, can have numbers of that caliber, then you know you've got something very, very special. At home, it's been 45 goals scored and 8 received. And away, another impressive 42 goals scored and 13 goals received. But actually, there hasn't really been that much of a difference between what Barca has achieved at home and away, which is a symbol of what Valverde has been bringing, which is that solidarity, that understanding, that solidarity in order to make things work. And that has to be the key.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. After the Neymar debacle, having his replacements of Dembele, who's both young and always injured, and Coutinho arriving in January for only two-thirds of the competitions, and yet Valverde still brought a steady and comfortable hand. He tweaked Barca's style and made them a little more defensive, which, like it or not, really garnered that positive results on the field. But other than the rotation of the bench and the depth of the bench, maybe more the board's fault, honestly, than even the manager's, the trust in his role players was really, I'd say, his only blemish that unfortunately reared its ugly head, obviously, against Roma, instead of Leganes or Hadafe. And if it was Leganes or Hadafe, which is our one loss, and that would have, of course, broken the unbeaten streak, but if that was the one bad game on the season, we'd be talking about everything a whole lot different. And I think with the right personnel and more time for the more recent arrivals, even to get more and more accustomed to playing for Barcelona, I trust that Valverde will figure out ways to not only extend the life of Messi, Suarez, and Pique, but continue Barcelona's miraculous run of titles, for which it is. And again, we'll go into the numbers in the weeks ahead, but I do have to make sure that we really do credit Valverde. And, you know, my stance at least, friends, as we're back on his side, and I would say that, you know, obviously you've got the next guy coming, the player that deserves the most credit. We all know who that is, but I want to make sure that Valverde is credited first.
2: And, you know, obviously we cannot avoid the fact that Lionel Messi plays for our team. Uh, It is not something we want to avoid. It is not something we ever want to stop. And we just have to be proud of. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves as well and think that, you know, Messi is in the team. And what he does is he covers the gaps that other people are leaving behind. And he's always there to step up, especially at the beginning of the year. He was remarkable. The team was under construction. It was clear that the team wasn't really playing very well at all. And Valverde was just experimenting, trying to find his way and away for his players but Messi was there from the work goal trying to make a difference scoring for fun and you know fast forward to where we are today 32 goals in La Liga providing 12 goal assists passing passing accuracy of 80% which in a way you may say actually that's not very high but if you think about Messi's game he's not someone that's going to be like say Busquets in the middle um, trying to open up spaces trying to get people to vasculate around them, trying to you know move the ball to one side and the other, trying to fall to the back. No, no, no. Messi is going to push forward. He's trying to make things happen and that is what he's been doing all season. So actually 80%, 80% passing accuracy is actually quite high for a player like Messi who has risk taken as part of his DNA. Another area in which Messi has stepped up is his goals from penalties. He's got two this season, which I know is not a lot, but Last but not least, there is something that I really want to raise for Messi. It's the fact that he scores six goals in La Liga from free kicks. And, you know, I remember when Messi was debuting in the first team and everyone keeps saying, you know, yeah, you know, he's good on the ball and he's speedy and he's technical and he can dribble, but actually he's never going to be as good as Maradona was in terms of free kicks and being decisive from there. And, Yeah, well, he blew them out of the water, didn't he? He has scored tremendous goals to be incredibly proud of. Um, Some of them obviously very aesthetically pleasing, but most importantly, they all come the same and they have helped Barca be where they are today. In addition, it's also remarkable to see that Messi's taken 146 shots on goal, which, to be honest, they're not that many when you've played 30 matches. That's around just four per match. Out of those 146, 91 have been on target. And that is incredibly accurate for someone who is always surrounded by different players, sort of always struggling to find a space in which to run and sort of shot free. 91 shots on target out of 146 is an incredibly high percentage. And when you you think that the 55 shots that were not on target, 14 of them actually hit the post just in La Liga, 14 shots towards the woodwork. That is incredibly high and his tally would actually be much, much higher had he not been that unlucky with our friends The Post
1: and Frances where would Messi be though without the other side of the field and that's the back line that I think defensively you'd have to argue might be just as important to Messi of our season you know Alba was important in the attack good enough at the back Sergio Roberto was ever improving and the likes of Vermillion PK Rakitic Busquets all had a season full of wonderful appearances with a few rough days in between and of course Rakitic for some reason you know Kule seemed to hate on him but he was incredibly important to the way Valverde wanted to play this year particularly when Busquets was the either out of form or picking up knocks and the two guys I didn't mention in there I didn't mention on purpose because I want to make sure that we also earmark first half of the season that Sam Umtiti had who just continues to continues to grow and I was listening to the guys on the League Weekly which uh, by the way hint hint we might have a special guest from uh, another podcast dropping as many hints as I can on a very very soon to be aired show and anyway they also mentioned this point that with that generation that Guardiola had, whether it was Puyol and Abidal and Valdez, they all had to be replaced. And Umtiti for the first time since Puglio was gone. And not that Mascherano didn't do a great job and isn't a legend in his own right, but Umtiti just seems, he gives you that calm and especially the first half of the year when he seemed to be really at the top of his form. And if he can continue and sustain it over the course of a season, Umtiti certainly, certainly is a leader along that back line. And the guy for me, if not Messi of the season for Barcelona, the more and more I think about it, has to be Ter Stegen because when you think about a league title you really think about week in and week out winning those matches getting what one point instead of zero or getting three points instead of one point Ter Stegen really was the difference just as often it seems like that messi was on the other side of the field and i know it's hearsay to try to you know compare the impact that Ter Stegen has had because of all the things that messi did being the goals he contributed the assist he contributed the effort he contributed all the things that messi does and yet Ter Stegen would just make one or two or three miraculous saves to make sure that they got those one point against hadafe or the three points against las palmas or legones and for me Terstegan really has blossomed into what we've argued is one of the top three to five keepers in the world
2: thank you dando you could really certainly can disagree with that the second player that i want to highlight today is jordi alba i don't think he's an obvious choice but I really want to highlight the fact that he has become a much, much, much more influential player than the one that was honestly disgruntled under Luis Enrique. He was His motivation was gone and he was definitely not engaging or buying into what Luis Enrique was trying to establish. And I think with Ernesto Valverde's guidance, Jordi Alba has pretty much been reborn. The way that he has been connected with Messi all season has been eye-opening. Obviously, the departure of Neymar has helped Alba grow. Uh, not just sort of in terms of height, because this phase he's not going to get any taller, but I'm talking in terms of influence, in terms of understanding, in terms of connection, and in a way, physically speaking, in terms of space in front of him. He's got so many more gaps to run into. And of course, you know, rivals buy down. They do know that Alba loves running towards the byline and then looking for Messi on a cutback pass towards most of the time the centre. But rivals cannot stop it, and that is the key. His influence has been through the roof this season, and we can only but be grateful for what Jordi Alba has been providing. I've got some numbers ready to show you what I mean. So, Jordi Alba in La Liga has scored twice, which is not a lot, but then again, he's a left-back, so what, what would you be expecting? But I think the eight goal assists that he has provided is... It's impressive, it's impressive, even for a player that has obviously been a Spanish international and established at La Liga for so many seasons, still making the difference, and, and we can only be grateful for that. His who scored rating this year in La Liga has been 7.3, and last season it was 6.9, so you've got right there, you've got the difference that a year makes, and most importantly, a change of manager. As Dan, you clearly referred to, Jordi Alba has been very impressive defensively as well, he's got 1.9 tackles per game, interceptions. Funnily enough, only one foul per game, which I think is very low for someone that is so influential and so involved in the attacking and defensive mechanisms of his team. 1.6 clearances. So actually, uh, someone who's effective at both ends of the pitch. And a clear example of that is the amount of balls won. He's got 168 balls won, which is quite high. It's 5.6 balls won per game. But check this out. 377 balls lost. That means... 12 balls lost per game which is an incredible lot but I think it's a reflection of how risky his game is, how decisively he's been pushing forward and you know if you play safe if you never actually want to move forward and make things happen then you're going to have a passing accuracy of 97 you know unless you are Iniesta or Busquets which clearly Jordi Alba is not he's got different skills but he's not that sort of player I think that the risk taken And the step up that Jordi Alba has made this season is something to be really proud of. And that's why I thought he should be highlighted as one of the heroes that have brought La Liga home to Barcelona.
1: So that's where we'll leave it as there is still El Clasico to be played plus three other matches. And even if we don't care too much of it, there is still an unbeaten streak on the line for even more history. So now time for La Ronda. And we also have some special guests again. All right. Have at it, Frances.
2: All right. Thank you, Dan, for deserting me and going to do things that, according to you, are more important, e.g. work. Um, but I have replaced you. I am joined by the beautiful Eugenia Caroli, as usual. Um, and then we've got a new guest, someone who has never been in the show before, but someone who's been basically a social media friend of mine, like a you know, sort of distant friend of mine for many years. It's Levin um, at Barzalev on Twitter. How are you today? Good, good. Thanks for introducing me. Eugenia, how are you feeling?
3: I'm feeling good. I'm I'm happy. Thanks for the beautiful introduction. I don't think the voice matches what you just said because <laughs> I've been sick for the last four days. But happy to have won the the um, the two titles and a lot of celebration last night here in Barcelona. And today it was a party, great birthday party for Ter Stegen, who is the birthday boy today.
2: He is the birthday boy today. Yeah, good. I don't know who was clapping, but that was amazing. Um, Eugenia, I understand that you haven't felt well for four days, but you left the bed and you risked it to go to Canaletas. How was that last night?
3: It was amazing. And I didn't expect to meet to see so many culés there last night, but because because especially because it was so late on a Sunday. But they were all there. Everybody was super happy. It got a little crazy, but everything went smoothly, and everyone was celebrating. And, you know, it's it's it was glad I was glad to see that because after what happened with Roma and, you know, staying out of the Champions League title, I would have expected uh, people were still a little bit touched because it was very recent. But I think that we really don't have to take for granted the fact that we won a title four four matches before the end of the league and still without losing any matches. So this is a big deal and this is a a big bar and a big uh, standard for future leagues, for future teams to win La Liga. And seven out of the last 10 Liga championships, that's something that we really, really have to appreciate.
2: Absolutely. um, Levin, I understand that you also went out celebrating and you've been following Barca very closely, In Barcelona, how's the mood for you, there? The mood is good. I
4: mean, the thing with this league, and sure, everybody let go and celebrate it. But the thing with this league is that it's a bit like when we won it under Tito Villanova. Like we already knew halfway through the campaign that we were going to win the league. So it's a bit of a weird feeling for me. Like, yeah, I'm happy that we won. And especially because it's seven out of ten. Uh, at the same time, I'm still sore and I'm still a bit worried about the future. Um, but what I think will really make me celebrate is if we beat Madrid uh, this uh, the next weekend in the Clásico. Like that would really be the icing on the cake for me.
3: I think the icing on the cake first before the Clásico would be Bayern beating Madrid on Tuesday. <laughs> I,
4: I know, I know, but you know they could have beat them like 10 to 2 last week and they didn't. So I, I don't even want to think about it because my stomach turns already at the thought of whatever will happen for Madrid to, to go through because you know how that be. <laughs> yeah,
3: that goes.
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: I was talking to Jason Davis in our podcast last week and um, he I mentioned that that you just mentioned about Madrid sort of whether they succeed in Champions League or not making a big difference to Barca's season and he was baff- right. baffled by that. He, he just said, I don't, quite understand what you mean. It's nothing like, like that that happens in American sports. Um, obviously, you both live in Barcelona. What's the media like? Um, obviously, I know because I live there, but I think it would be great to share it with our listeners. So what's the media like, say, today?
3: I was like, actually surprised by the media this morning, even including Marca and us actually celebrating uh, La Liga and celebrating the hat-trick by Messi yesterday to get that Liga last night. I was actually surprised because once it's, you know, it's just a matter of time when everybody has to like put hands down and accept the fact that we have the best player in the world and the best player in football history and there you can only go so far against, you know, the tide. So it was a, it was actually gratifying to see the press this morning, even though we try to, we, we actually battling against them during the entire season, but it, it was a good feeling this
2: morning levin i've got um a question for you i hope you've watched this program el chiringuito <laughs> no man i stay away from el chiringuito can you obviously you stay away which is what i have I've always done but could you describe that show to our listeners so that they're aware of what actually goes on in in spanish tv I don't watch that much TV. I just watch football and that's it. But
4: from what I see of the Tiringuito, it's it, it's it's a Catalan guy who almost hates everything that has anything to do with Catalonia. <laughs> yeah, who 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 hosts yeah. the show. Uh, but, but more more than Tiringuito, um, I think that Eugenia touched on something interesting and and Kules are not going to like me when I say this. I think um, the the written sports press in Madrid and Marca, especially not us, but even us sometimes. Even though they got Thomas, uh, what's his name, Thomas but they are a lot more capable of um, praising Barca when it's time to praise Barca than Sports and Mundo Deportivo is the other way around So for for uh, for Marca to say like uh, Leo, it's your league. I've seen enough like uh, articles from Marca for that not to surprise me anymore.
3: Well, actually, I I I must agree and not because it was actually this is not something that happens frequently. This is something that happened today, and it actually surprised me to see that uh, front page on Marca. So I wouldn't say that it's something that happens like every day, and that Marca usually uh, praises Barca more easily. I think today, I mean, they had no other choice.
4: <laughs> well, not on the front page. They almost never do it on the front page. But uh, every now and then you can find an article in there somewhere where, where they praise Barca. All
2: right. So let's start with La Ronda de Preguntas then. We've got a lot of listener questions today. Our first one comes from Matthew Lasardi, who is one of our patrons, and he obviously follows us on that and also on a tvpod.link forward slash group, which is the Barcelona podcast Facebook group, which if you're listening to the show, you may as well join because we miss you. He says, so much talk when Valverde was hired about rotation and La Masia players getting a chance. As you've talked about many times, this hasn't happened at all. What is the difference this year from Valverde teams in the past? And he says, and not only rotation, the team lacks flexibility as far as the formation goes. Do you agree that the one-mindedness is worrisome when we'll looking to the future?
4: Well, I think it's a good question. I, I, I don't think he's been, I don't think he has not been flexible because he started in 4-3-3. We've seen a 4-4-2. We've seen some kind of, uh, we've seen like is playing a double pivot with different setups as well. Uh, I think he's been very pragmatic. I think he's been very conservative. I think now that Coutinho is becoming integrated and Dembele is back, he's reverting back to the 4-3-3. A bit uh, a bit more so we haven't seen that much of the 4-4-2 lately so in a sense um, we don't play as defensive anymore as as we did at the same time i am worried not as much by the lineups that he uh, by the formations that he use i'm very worried about the lack of rotation and uh, the lack of development that we've seen from young players in the team whether it's Dembele or Semedo or even like Denis Suarez who should have gotten more minutes Or Paco Alcácer, a lot of players, I'm I'm not a fan of Alcácer, I'm not a fan of Denny's, but they should have played more. And I think it's going to hurt us in that they don't play, so why do we keep them? But if we try to sell them, they're not going to be worth anything because they never played. And it also hurt the first team who ran out of gas against Rome. Uh, What do you guys think?
3: Actually, I want to point out something that is actually worrying. I think it's it's a, a it's like a general sentiment here in Barcelona, and it's the fact that we're almost running out of our top Masia players now. With Iniesta leaving, we basically have Busquets, Piqué, and Messi left. And I think that there's there something just happened last weekend that needs to make us look more in in house. And actually, somebody told me in on Twitter this morning and that the club needs to start buying players like xavi honestly they mentioned these players xavi puyol iniesta and messi and i said look at your look at the names that you're writing down none of those players were bought all those players are made at football club barcelona masia so with the barcelona youth team winning the wifi youth league last last weekend I think that there's something very important happening in house that we're not actually seeing because sometimes we look only as far as Barça B, but there are players, and I had the opportunity to go to have lunch on Saturday at the Barcelona Tennis Open with Ricky Puch, which is a 17-year-old player that just won the Barcelona the UEFA Youth League, mm-hmm. and he is he's the only bar uh, guy from the only player in the youth team. That has actually trained with the first team, and he mentioned that one of the things that Messi told him the day that he trained with the team is that they finally bring up a, a short guy like Messi because you know how the balance works and everything. So there is a lot of talent there. Maybe we're just not looking far behind as as far as far as we need to. We're just looking Barca B players, and a lot of the Barca B players have actually been bought. They're they're not necessarily coming from below because what happens is that. When you have a very good, promising player in the youth teams or the juvenile teams, then other players come, other teams come like Chelsea, and they offer them um, much better opportunities to play. And to be a forward and play at Football Club Barcelona is not the easiest task. So there has to be a strategy to keep them a sea players in house and keep them from going to other teams. Yeah, as we saw that happen with Piquet or Sesc at their time, right? So we need to nurture the fact that they, they're made at Masia and they need to stay at Camp Barca until they become professional
2: players. Absolutely. I think I subscribe every single word you said there. We talked about that, I think it was a couple of episodes ago. Must have been 80 or 81. I can't quite remember now. But absolutely, that final step is just too difficult for people to get over. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And I'm going to ask you two questions now, which sort of link to what we're saying. Um, Nicolai asks should Barca prioritise Champions League the most next season and not really care about La Liga or Copa del Rey or try and take everything as serious as possible like this season which is connected to this one from Octavio on Twitter he says is it time to forget about the Copa del Rey once and for all and give prioritise, and prioritise La Liga and Champions from now on um, I would throw a little bit of should our youngsters play those competitions in there um, Lev what do you think? Well, th- there you go. I don't care about the Copa
4: del Rey as a trophy. I would just play young players in that competition and see how they do. I mean, for me, this season, it's a bit ridiculous that it almost felt as if we prioritized the Copa del Rey over the Champions League. And you saw it with a lot of lineups. Uh, I mean, um, Balberde rested Messi against Juventus when the, group, uh, in the first place in the group was not decided yet. Then, before we went to L- London to play Chelsea... Uh, he played Messi, Iniesta, and Suarez uh, away against Eibar, which was always going to be a very uh, high-energy game. And before the game against Rome, he played all of those guys. Well, not Iniesta, but he played Messi and Suarez against uh, what was it, Leganes. At the same time, he never really rested people in the Copa after the loss against Espanol, and I never got, I never really understood why. It all, it always bugged me.
3: But moreover, it. The fact that the question asks that if we should just focus on La Liga or Champions League and not focus in Copa del Rey, I, we we don't want Barcelona to be Madrid. We want a team that can fight and can play throughout the season to get the all all the trophies possible. And I think that is the main reason why we're Barca fans and why we're proud of our team because. We are the only team here that has gotten all three trophies, not only once, but twice. And all six trophies in the in the season, all six possible trophies already were the only team that has done it. So I think we should look beyond the fact of the importance of each trophy. Of course, Champions League and Liga are much more, much more important trophies than Copa del Rey. But then again, I I think that we should have a, a team strong enough and rotations and uh a coach that is as in, intelligent enough to be able to distribute the players that he has available into the three tournaments to be able to win them all, not focus on one or the other. And what Lev was saying, I think it's pretty smart, because I, if, we, if we want our Masia players to to grow and become important players and valuable players like Paco Alcácer and Denis Suárez, who are, who are worth nothing right now because they haven't played, you should use them and play them in, in the less important quote-unquote uh, tournament that is Copa del Rey. So I agree, but I I don't agree on the fact that we just have to focus on two tournaments and then leave Copa del Rey aside because at the end of the day, it's it's another title and it's worth another title, you know?
2: Yeah, for me, it's it's the fact that if you do play the youngsters in Copa del Rey, you're actually showing the, that you do care for it, but you're just giving the youngsters a chance to succeed and and in a way excel if if you don't win it i mean we won in five consecutive years right it's not the end of the world but i think it, it is valuable and our youngsters should really have a chance on there for sure um we've got a question a bit weird something came out in the i'm assuming it will be the catalan or the madrid press you never quite know But um, Jacob asks, would Dembele be loaned out if Griezmann came in? This is all linked to a report about Griezmann being such a high-profile sign-in and basically priority number one that Barca reportedly, and that is the key word, would be sort of looking at the possibility of offloading Dembele on a loan so he can gain minutes. How do we see that?
4: I think there's something very contradictory in that article because I read it also. And they say, okay, they're thinking about loaning out Dembele. And then they go on to say that one of the big problems is that Dembélé has never uh, actually developed uh, his tactical, uh, tac- his tactics as a player. But then if you loan him out, how is, he gonna de- how is he going to develop his tactics, especially at a club with such a specific way of playing as Barcelona, that does not really make any sense. And it's not like uh, Samper, who I think a lot of us overrated because he came from the Masia, because I saw very uh, big flaws with him as a player and I understand why Luis Enrique and Balverde did not want to play him that much. It's not like player you're going to loan him out and if it doesn't work out and he was very unfortunate with both of the situations if it doesn't work out well okay you lose a youth talent which is sad but Dembele is actually a guy that they paid 100 million for you cannot afford to risk loaning him out and him not developing at that club where you have no control over him whatsoever.
2: Uh, but that's my opinion. I think, I, I think I'll think agree with you there. It makes absolutely no sense to spend so heavily on someone. You're then going to offload. Eugenia, do you want to add anything or is that just crystal clear as it is? I just think
3: that there is a big problem with that uh, premise. After the fact that you paid as much as you paid for that player. And on the other hand, seeing him play and seeing him how he's improved with the little game that he's had actually this season, and the two injuries and everything that has gone on with him, and seeing how he's actually making a really good uh, match with Coutinho, I I would I don't know I I for me it's like it would be like throwing the money down the drain you know it's kind of crazy because as that De- as Lev said Barcelona has a very specific. Style of play, and if you need him to develop his tactics, you need him to develop him to to develop them here, where he's gonna actually become part of an essential part of the team. And I think that he has the strength, he has the speed, he has the height, he has the qualities. I think he's a player that just needs more experience and more time on the field.
2: Absolutely, that's all the time we've got for that question. Because to me, it makes absolutely no sense because of what you said. I've got one last question which I thought was really interesting. He's really open. Um, So it's from Anish, who's got Campeones as his name on Twitter, which is really obviously appropriate. What was the defining moment of the season for you? It's been a,
3: a long season, but I would say that the defining moment was actually the beginning of the season where everything went so bad and everybody underestimated Barca so much that they just like, they had to prove everybody wrong and to have a, such a bad start of the season to lo- to lo- to lose the um, copa uh supercopa españa and spain super cup and then have a, a season where you've only actually lost two matches in the season one was uh, that match against español and then that dreadful night in rome it, it you have to sit down and think how many matches does barcelona played this season to only lose two matches throughout the season after such a bad pre-season right for sure so i think so i think it's it it's you know it's a matter of a mind frame as well and we cannot crucify valverde for for two bad matches or one bad match which was actually uh, it was a very mad, bad day to to select the bad match of the season, right, but it's actually been the only match of the season that we've done done it completely wrong and it it's had obviously it's horrible consequences and for me, it's just a pity that only 60, 90 minutes drew a cloud over the entire season that has been absolutely spectacular and when you come down and see that if for ninety for only ninety minutes we could have had the best season in football club Barcelona history. And it was stained by 90 minutes alone. I mean, we have to like step out of it, snap out of it, get over it, flip the page, and see the big picture. And I think for me, the crucial part is and seeing the big picture is going way back to August. I think
4: that those 90 minutes were preconditioned by. Uh, a whole bunch of, by a conscious choice, of not rotating players. I so continue. to say that those those 90 minutes went wrong, yes, those 90 minutes went wrong, and there were all kinds of tactical choices uh, made in that match which did not make sense, and tactical it, it, choices it made- not made in that match when, once it was underway. But it, 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 it was coming from a long way, because people were, for, for months, everybody was like, why doesn't he rotate, why doesn't he rotate, why doesn't he rotate? And we were waiting for the chickens to come home to roost. Now, when it comes to those defining moments, can I cheat and say two?
2: Yes, I was going to as well. Because
4: <laughs> <laughs> because, because for me, the, 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 there are two defining moments. And one of the defining moments is to see Iniesta uh, holding back his tears in, in Rome, uh, which take it or leave it, is not a good moment because Rome really uh, hit us really hard and kind of defined our season. Uh, and the other defining moment would be to see Niesta hold back his tears after scoring in the final of the Copa del Rey, because it's it kind of brings together like this, this this wonderful player who we will miss so much seeing uh, play for us, and you know he's gonna still leave us with a
2: with a double. Right. So that's all the time we've got for today. Um, Lev, where can our listeners follow your work? Because I know you've got um, a lot of projects going on. I wouldn't even call them projects, man. Uh, I mess about. I mess
4: around on Twitter uh, at Uh Barca with an S. Uh, and you know, it's not for the faint of heart because I do uh, drop the occasional f-bomb or come up with like some colorful metaphor sometimes. But uh, you're always free to uh, to look me up and exchange thoughts. And I'm also with uh, with Noël and Esau and and Marin. Sometimes you do, like, improvised podcasts on uh, the Kule Corner. So you guys can look out for that as well.
2: Absolutely. Guys, do check that out. Um, The link to everything that Barca just mentioned is on the show notes. So tap on your app and you will find them. Eugenia, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, guys.
3: It's my pleasure, as always. And let's continue celebrating. We Um, have a great team and we have a great future ahead of us, even though we don't see it right now. Dan, back to (laughs) you.
4: (laughs) Fiscal Barca.
1: And a big thanks to today's La Ronda guest as we wrap up another edition of the Barcelona Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza.
0: And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online.
1: Please be the cheetah.
0: Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to GEICO. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth... You savor the moment to get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM all access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event now serving limited time offers on a select lineup of vehicles offers end September 3rd Mercedes-Benz the best
3: or nothing.
5: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?